0: This episode of the 239 Uncensored podcast is proudly sponsored by Florida Pro Realty. If you are buying, selling, renting, or in need of property management, please give us a call or visit our website at www.floridaprorealty.com. Welcome, welcome, welcome 239 Uncensored in Southwest Florida and beyond. And we are proud to have two like These guys are pioneers. They're legends in the two, three, nine and beyond. Uh, We have Dr. Paul Hoban and a lot of listeners have heard Dr. Paul and we have Dr. James Augustine. Welcome to the studio. You guys having fun?
2: Well, yes, this is great. We we talked before about having Dr. Augustine, he's a special guy and real knowledgeable. And and I'm looking forward to seeing uh,
1: what he has to say today. But thanks for having us. Tim, Doc. Great, Tim great to be here and Paul great to be working with you.
0: Yeah you guys are great so a little bit just a little bit here you know we've talked about this COVID thing and and I just kind of want to go a little bit because we know a lot about everybody in Naples knows a lot about Paul and, and I'm sure a lot of people know about Dr. Augustine but these guys are like like when I say legends here these these guys do a lot North Collier Fire you're involved with those medical directors both working with them. Dr. Augustine you've got a lot of ties in ohio you've been to Atlanta. fill us in a little bit about yourself
1: emergency physician okay and as such i started my career in dayton ohio and learned to be a good emergency physician and a good firefighter 40 years ago i followed up uh, my 1982 rookie, 1982 wow. january of 1982 i did my rookie training to become a firefighter
0: it, it, while, not while to cut the- you <laughs> off but you know us policemen what we you know Hose draggers and all the fun stuff. Trust me, when you guys show up on scene, I'm being a former law enforcement. Where you guys, you know, block the roads, do a couple of fun things, and you guys do work your butt off. But we have a great relationship in, in Collier. A little as, bit of,
1: as it should be. Yeah. Right. Uh, we, exactly. we have to work together. It's all about serving the public. Right. So Dayton, Ohio. Uh, I didn't become a law enforcement officer. I became <laughs> a firefighter, EMT, Smart. along with my wife. <laughs> And uh, and then went to Atlanta, Georgia. Became medical director for Atlanta Fire Department and for the Airport Fire Department. And then followed that up in Washington, D.C., where I served as medical director for uh, D.C. Fire and their med- and uh, assistant chief there, and medical director for Metro Police Department while I was there.
0: Those are like huge metropolitan areas. I mean, Atlanta, D.C. I mean, have you seen you've seen some things?
1: I've seen some things. Yeah, uh, and happy to not be involved in that right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Naples is, is nice, right?
1: Oh, it's beautiful. What a great <laughs> community. And, uh, and we serve the world well here. Yeah.
0: And Dr. Paul Hobeka, a little bit about you because every time we just kind of jump into the COVID thing right off.
2: Well, first of all, Jim's being real humble. He's <laughs> he's nationally and, and internationally recognized. So a lot of the information I get and pass along comes through him. So oh, yeah. he, he's humble as they can get. So, um, I'm a little less credentialed than he is. I I grew up in Boston. I was on the fire rescue during my college years in the late 80s and loved it so much. I wanted to go off to medical school, which is what I ended up doing in the 90s and came back here and became the fire district physician at North Collier back in 2007. And since then, it's just been awesome. I love being affiliated with the fire rescue and and of course, I work at Arthrex and, and their corporate medical person, and and handle their employee health issues. And this COVID has been challenging. So
0: yeah. Well, first off, I'd like to thank both you guys. I, I always do. Is you know, working in public safety for the last thirty-one years, having folks like you that you can call on and just be supportive of our public safety members, it's invaluable. And thank you. And I and and my thanks comes from all my buddies. I mean. We, Men and women in, in law enforcement, men and women in fire. I mean, you guys are always truly the ones there to help. Um, Paul and I have been on calls together, and you know, just it's just it's just the feeling it gets you get when somebody that's a professional that shows up and is helping you out, and then even on you know the personal side. For, for our own medical benefits and things like that. It just really is really great. But thank you guys. Thank you, John. And,
1: and Paul, of course, is humble too. Uh, yeah, of course. He serves both our community uh, in his fire EMS role, but then he serves our members and police department in our entire community with how he keeps people healthy. And he, he moves them through any illnesses or injuries that they have um, on all sides uh, of the issue. So, Paul, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we also know... That over the past two years, I mean, basically everybody has been consumed with COVID nineteen, right? So, globally, within the United States and locally, you know, in the two three nine and beyond, Naples, Fort Myers area, things like that. What do you gentlemen just give us a little rundown of what we're seeing globally, and then within the United States and locally, currently with the pandemic.
2: So just in kind of the last 12 months, you know, this time a year ago, we were faced with quite a bit of illness going around that the, the the virus was spreading rapidly pretty much everywhere, including internationally and other countries. And then vaccines, of course, started to be deployed and we saw this real rapid decline in cases, whether it was attributed to vaccinations or whether it was just part of the natural evolution, we got to roughly... April and just saw really nice numbers, low numbers. We were starting to open things up, and it was really great. Um, then, of course, a few months go by, and then the Delta variant starts to starts to heat up, and that went really, really fast and furious for around three months. and And it's interesting because if you look back, the expert epidemiologists were predicting that it may it may go and burn really fast for a number of months, but roughly September we should see a decline and that's what we saw. So I think the last time I was on was was when the Delta started um, back in May or June, I guess it was, and then, so here we are, the you know Omicron, of course, Omicron, I should say, started uh, uh, disseminating and that's, you know, as everybody probably knows, that was not any more lethal, of course, than Delta, but it was very contagious to get whether you were vaccinated or not most people were getting it so here we are we're we're now currently on the decline with cases globally and of course locally and internet and and within the united states but um i'm gonna pass it now over to jim and see what he has to add because there's much more to the story that i think he can share with everybody
1: so a year ago we were just rolling out the vaccines and hoping that We'd get wide distribution of the vaccines and be able to to really decrease the fatality rate, which at that point was tremendously high. We lost a family member um, to the disease, a fifty-two-year-old thin, healthy firefighter uh, who died.
0: Yeah, because that's the question, right? They always ask, "What what shape were they in? Is it is it someone like me? Yeah, it is. It could be
1: fifty-two. <laughs> wow, healthy firefighter um, who'd been a, a Navy man and um, and a tremendous loss to the community. Uh, Through the summer months, um, as the Delta wave kicked back up, we knew that we were going to have trouble with some people still getting repeat infections. We didn't know how long the vaccine would last. And one of the the real issues that we came up against as the fall went on is do we need another jab, uh, so to speak. And it came uh, to be that the Delta variant uh, was quite a bit uh, infectious to people even who had the original Uh, for form of COVID. And uh, fortunately, our cases began to decrease and we thought maybe we would enter the winter months and be able to worry most about flu. Uh, But then Omicron evolved. Uh, We had an extremely infectious agent that was different enough from the original alpha and delta variants that people could get sick again. And really, we figured out we need three immunizing events uh, for people to be protected. Uh, So, two shots plus a natural infection or a natural infection plus two shots, um, we believe has the ability to give people long-term immunity, but we're still testing that now. Right. And it seems as though uh, Omicron has spread through so many people in this country that any other variants might have little ripe ground for them to uh, get into. So we are hoping and we're hoping across the world that we don't see more waves.
0: And we all know that vaccinations and and things like that have been a huge controversial issue. Do you guys in, in your professional opinion believe that getting vaccinated will definitely in the long run, maybe not prevent you from getting COVID, but reduce the lethal portion of the of the disease? I mean, is it something
1: we've seen? So I'm going to speak first because I'm older than Paul. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to say I went to kids, I went to school with kids who had survived polio. Right. Uh, which it was a similar, deadly, horrible illness. It was worse in the fact that it attacked children more than uh, coronavirus has. Uh, right. But I still remember being in school with kids who both had long-term repercussions, wearing braces on their legs, uh, and some of them went, to die very early we wiped that disease out another respiratory spread virus we wiped that disease out with good vaccination programs uh, that began like this one with having to inject people in their muscle uh, which isn't very fun uh, but we evolved to the point where we had effective vaccines that could even be taken orally and are given to kids i don't think there's any controversy that the coronavirus vaccine has saved millions and millions of lives Um, I looked yesterday, the statistics, we've had more than 550 million immunizations given of Pfizer, uh, Moderna, and J&J in this country. They have been very effective, and they have reduced the fatality rate, the hospitalization rate, and the number of cases dramatically. Uh, So I, I don't believe that there's any controversy that the vaccine has been very effective. The question is, people have, you know, do we need it at all? Does it really protect people in the long term? And I think the evidence we're collecting now is it is protecting people from hospitalization, serious illness, and death. And in particular, in the older people, who this disease seems to have radar to get to. Um, so it's a really weird disease in that it doesn't kill children, but it very efficiently kills older people, and we need to protect them.
0: Got it. Good point. Yeah, because, you know, you no matter... Where you go or what you, who you talk to, depending on who you talk to, and and I believe it's maybe the lack of knowledge or education or not really wanting to hear the truth, I guess. But I think that's that's one of them. And you, you know, we seem like we're fighting it. I, you know, I'm I'm vaccinated, and and I didn't go in there. I personally didn't go in there excited about getting vaccinated. I had COVID early on, then talked talked to Doc about it, and he's like, "Hey, listen, it's, pr- it's probably something you need to get done." So I didn't really go in there excited about it. but I don't think anybody does. Let me ask you back. Back when the polio vaccination was, it. I mean, did we did we know a lot about what that repercussions of that vaccination would do in the long term? I mean, we probably didn't know a whole lot. I don't know.
1: Uh, well,
0: well, anytime you get a vaccination, you're not really sure, right?
1: Right. Of course, it's a worldwide disease. Right. And uh, at that point, it was killing millions of people, and we've essentially eradicated. So that the tells you. On the- on the planet. Um, Paul came along a little after that. And Paul is of the generation that came through and hepatitis B was a big killer of public safety people, including police officers, bloodborne disease. And he helped implement programs where we have hepatitis B now, uh, immunizations, the same schedule, by the way, as coronavirus vaccinations, a zero month, a one month, and a six month immunization. And, Paul, have you seen a hepatitis B case in the last 10, 20 years?
2: No, we have not seen in my 20-year career, I haven't seen one case of it. So, it's that vaccine is amazing and truly proven to be very beneficial. Um, and there's also another reason. Hepatitis B, for example, can create um, liver cancer in the long run. So, preventing yeah. hepatitis B <laughs> is a good thing. Yeah. But I, I would agree with everything Jim said on the vaccines. It's kind of interesting because we're in this point now where we're getting people telling us that they have to travel and they need another vaccination and their kids need vaccinations and yet they've had it, the natural infection, sometimes twice now. And it's its a bit of a challenge trying to guide them on, on vaccines right now. Um, the other challenge we have is is we know the omicron Omicron is not, It it escaped and evaded the vaccine protection, but as Jimmy alluded to it, it clearly kept people out of the hospital and dying, which is really amazing. Even though people would get it when you were vaccinated, it's just the issue of trying to uh, enforce or provide vaccines for people for travel purposes when they may have good protection from prior infections is difficult. I have a a tough time with that one. Yeah, I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you.
0: What is locally? What are our hospitals? How how are we looking? From my understanding, that Omicron, you, the lethal, the death rate on it is is much less. Is that true, or is that just me? Or I mean, is, I mean, one death is too many, right? <laughs> we know, especially when it's a family member. But how how are we doing locally in the hospitals? What are we seeing when people are going in?
2: So most of these cases that come through the ER are not needing to be admitted. Most of the admissions still, and the people that are getting in trouble, are. Unvaccinated, without any prior exposures or prior infections, so they so hits them there. hard. It, it it can. That's the problem. Right. I mean, the sheer numbers are so great in terms of who's getting infected, and the numbers that we didn't see when we compared it to Delta, and of course, the original wave numbers were just staggeringly high. That you were going to get a certain amount of paralleled admissions and people getting really sick and needing ICU. Jim, what do you what do you got? What's your intel in the hospital, ICUs and
1: yeah, we're, we're uh, fortunately on a little bit of a downhill in both Lee County Hospitals and the Collier County Hospitals. Okay. That's a good thing. Okay. Uh, those people, about 85 to 90% that are in the hospital or in the ICU are unvaccinated. So it is very clear that that's still a big risk factor. The other 10 to 15% typically have an underlying medical problem that um, causes their immune system not to work as effectively or the vaccine to work as effectively. And so many of those, unfortunately, are cases that have underlying immune system problems. They got vaccinated, but it couldn't protect them well enough. Especially as Paul's pointing out, uh, against the Omicron variant, which is which is so easy to get into your respiratory system and cause problems for you. It is a little less likely to drop into your lungs, but in people who are not protected, um, their their lungs are still the primary site of disease.
0: Yeah, I got really nervous personally when i had a couple of my my buddies that that i worked with over the years and the delta came and they one of them went on respirator knock on wood he was able to come out of it but i we don't really know what's he's scarred up long and we don't know what his capacity is ever going to be if he'll ever even get back to work again so those are some things that we, that we see in there. You really take it. And, and I always tell everybody, I said, listen, I said, cause you know, some people are like, ah, that's nothing. You know, I just got a little temperature. But, but the thing is, it's kind of like a, I would think it would be kind of like a Russian roulette thing. Who, who's it, who is it really gonna hit bad? And it seems like these families, I mean, I've seen that where that's come up with you know, two or three people in the family have passed away from it. And it seems like it, it does attack, uh, you know, these families and, you know, every, everybody, um, any, any little bit. So I, I guess my question is if somebody comes to you and says, listen, I've had COVID twice, I've had a shot, immunization, should I get like a booster? I mean, should you go by the schedule? I think is what I guess I'm asking.
2: This is a tough question
0: it, <laughs> or kind of wait it out and hope for the best.
2: Yeah. It, that's, that is absolutely the, the point I was trying to make earlier. That's a tough one. I, I can tell you personally, I think you've had enough immunizing events, as Jim was saying earlier, that I believe we're gonna, at some point, be checking antibody levels to see if you have protection via a blood test, which we're already doing actually, and versus seeing if you have zero antibody levels and you might really be pushing the direction of boost, but that's the challenge. It's hard to be endorsing boosters when you appear to have had quite a few challenging immunizing events, including vaccines and prior infections in the same individual. So I can tell you myself, I've I've had two vaccines. I have measurable antibodies and I had Omicron four weeks ago. Yeah, you did told. very well with it. And I was actually kind of happy to have gotten it. I didn't want to get it, but since I got it, it was my third really good immunizing event. And there it appears that there may be some good data coming out that that even it was relatively easy to weather, that um, that is offering a really good um, boost in your immune system. They often refer to it as a, you're now super immune um, because of the way it's your immune responses and it's the antibody increase that it's gonna provide. So, um, and the good news is it wasn't causing a lot of people to as we know hospitalized and dying, and it didn't have some of the same characteristics as the previous versions. People didn't lose their taste and smell, although some did. It was mostly a, a common cold type symptoms. They they felt most people have had. So, uh, I'm not getting a booster right now. I don't see the need to. Yeah, good good point.
0: Treatment. Okay, so when these these folks are going into the hospital, I think maybe we have to kind of and, and again, I'm I'm totally layman on this, but I, I think at some point we're going to have to sit there and go, okay, I got I got coronavirus. I'm not feeling great. We have to look maybe on the treatment side. Are we still putting people on respirators if they're needed, or is that kind of change a little bit? Or if somebody goes to the emergency room, what's the normal cause? Fluids, you know, things, typical flu, flu response, or how are we doing it?
1: Let me, let me talk a little bit about treatment. So uh, someone who goes in the emergency department, typically it's with difficulty breathing or some other symptoms that are making them real sick. Um, we worry most about the people whose lungs aren't functioning well or their heart's not functioning well. And in those cases, we supplement whatever they're doing, like increase their oxygen level. Got it. Um, rarely do we have to give fluids. This isn't the kind of flu that, that does a lot of nausea and vomiting and okay. other things. If necessary, we put them on very high flow oxygen into their nose, and we try not to put them on a, on a ventilator with a tube in their throat. So every attempt is made not to have to do that. Over the course of uh, the last two years, we've moved through various types of treatments. Um, so many, many big name drugs uh, were attempted to be used against viruses. We are not very good at killing viruses because virus exists inside human cells. Right. And so in order to, um, to allow a virus not to kill somebody, you've got to kill some cells. And there's usually repercussions of that. And why we don't have treatments for viral illnesses, we have to prevent them. We now are working on a couple of ways to kill some of the virus or to, or to reduce the load on the body. Uh, that has names like monoclonal antibodies and then new medications, Paxlovid and Molnupiravir. Very, very long, difficult names. I got to spell them. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, in the Delta variant, uh, we came to use, especially in Florida, um, monoclonal antibodies. We had two very effective ones that we could infuse in people's veins. So, they had to go somewhere, get an IV started, and, and get an infusion for about half an hour. And we were finding much success in reducing hospitalizations in people who we could get to early. Over the last two months, uh, we have figured out that the first two monoclonal antibodies don't work against Omicron, and so we've stopped using them. We have one new infusion product, but it is very difficult to manufacture, and we haven't gotten it available yet. And we have two new oral medicines that we believe reduce the severity of infection. Uh, The most popular and the one that uh, likely will work the best is the Paxlovid, but it is also very difficult to manufacture and we don't have much of that product available we have molnupiravir which is a lower rate of effectiveness and more side effects and so it has not been a very popular oral medicine to reduce the severity of infection either so we continue to work on treatments thinking that monoclonal antibodies and some oral medicines may help people in the future who get infections and when we can get enough of these available that they really can assist. There's a couple of other treatments I won't talk about, but we're, we're trying to figure out what might work to reduce the impact of infections on people who get it in the future and be able to manufacture enough of it that it really is a, a way to reduce the impact of the disease.
0: Yeah, because I can imagine as a doctor, that's going to be a, a pretty frustrating thing if you if you know that there's a, a potential we could try something and it's not available, Right. And how do you determine, you know, who gets what? I mean, that's probably some, ethically, some very tough things to to kind of go through. Right. But I would it's think.
1: always been frustrating that we had viral infections and really didn't have a right. treatment for it. Right. Right. And we can think about HIV, we can think about herpes, we can think about the common cold. Uh, where you try to reduce the symptoms, but we really don't right. have a way of, of really treating the underlying problem. And that's been a long time um, frustration for physicians. Yeah, I
0: can imagine. So what are we looking at regionally, I guess, regionally? What are we looking at as far as hospitals being filled up and situations that we're trying to improve on as far as, as, as things like that? I mean, is it are we in a situation in, in Collier and Lee County where treatment is very difficult to get? I know that they set up a, a basically a triage set up in, for Lee County when people come in because I, I think people are coming because they're not feeling good, but they probably maybe don't have to, or I guess it's a situation where we have to take that as they come, correct?
2: Yeah, I would say, Tim, that, that the trend lines are amazing right now, they're really optimistic. Um, i not sure that we're gonna need to offer treatments as much as we may have in the past. It's not to say that someone wouldn't need an infusion of one of these monoclonals that are proven to be beneficial, it, they're individual decisions making, you know, but most people are doing really well. And as the numbers really continue to, to really, I'd say, plummet, where, where every week seemed to be half of what we were the week before in terms of the positivity rates, at least with, with my experience and what we're seeing in the clinics, that the trend line, if that continues, is going to be really, really beneficial. Um, I don't really know where the status is on the monoclonal availability, is. I know that there was a very convenient place you could self-refer to in Benita. And I think down at the health department, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and that was when, of course, Delta was really um, hitting us hard last summer. But I'm hoping we don't need to even get to that point right now, if this thing continues to trend the way it is. Jim, you
1: agree? Yeah, but uh, unfortunately, we're in our seasonal um, issues. We're uh, busy anyway, right, families. at the hospital, yeah. So the, the, the news this morning um, was that the uh, county hospitals are really full, and it's not not just COVID, as Paul's pointing out, all of the other seasonal stuff uh, still going through, and a lot more people down here to have heart attacks and strokes and other routine medical problems that we see this time of the year and keep the hospitals really busy. We've also had a shortage of staff um, in many of our healthcare systems, and that's really pressing on the hospitals to be able to do their routine care that they would be doing at this time of the year, plus the additional load of COVID patients on top. So this morning, um, there were still hundreds of patients in both the, the um, Collier County Hospitals and the Lee Hospitals, and they they were talking about very long waits in the emergency departments, particularly for patients who needed to be admitted uh, because the hospitals are so busy with their seasonal work plus COVID. And so we're hoping that COVID patients keep going down, that we can stay caught up. Uh, the other event that happened this week was that uh, elective surgeries and the elective procedures have been have been canceled in both sets of hospitals in the region. And this week they are trying to open back up so that they can begin to get the elective work that has to be done, right. screening work done on people, their their heart work done, their joints replaced, their, their bowels worked on, et cetera, as they need to do. Uh, and we need to be able to open those back up so that we can provide the routine care uh, that we need to in the community as well.
0: Yeah, all good points. And we all know, you know, working down here in season, it's like when you go try to get something to eat, you're waiting in line. So we know that the hospitals just without the COVID situation or, you know, you're stacked up there. So, uh, you know, that's that's always an issue. So if you're if you feel like you might have COVID and and kind of chuckle about it, because every time now somebody sneezes or coughs, we all like stare at them like, did you just sneeze? And, you know, we all kind of freak out. I mean, I've laid it in bed going i gotta go see dr paul tomorrow i think i'm you know whatever and, and i you know kind of just if you're sick and you feel like you you need to go to the emergency room obviously you're in dire your need you have to go but what would you say to the normal person who's just not feeling well and they feel that they might have covid what what should what should they do
2: i would say try to get them tested i wouldn't necessarily yeah, run, run. To the emergency room that's right. a that's a tough uh, place to be right now especially when they likely wouldn't need anything further right. but just the knowledge and knowing if they're positive or not. So many people want to know, I want to test, I want to test. I think testing's becoming more available than it was even a month ago. We right. all, our supplies across the nation ran pretty low in terms of what we could use in, in the medical setting and what you could buy at the commercial pharmacies. But that's changed and, and you know, most people do that they're presenting exactly like that. They wake up, I've got a little sore throat, I'm not quite sure, can I get a test? And, and we're, you know, testing them out and saying you are positive and kind of hang out at your house and isolate if you can and stay hydrated and call us if there's any real issues that that present themselves that might warrant another visit. So that's fortunately been 98% of what I've seen. And again, it didn't matter if you were vaccinated or not, for the most part, most people were doing really, really well. So um, and then if their family members say, "I don't feel good too," you you know what they have. Right. So there's not a lot of need to keep testing the families if the supplies are. But some people want to know; they want the test. So it's more.
0: Now, oh, have you noticed the tests? Are they are they pretty spot on? I mean, is it? I mean, are they pretty accurate?
2: Uh, I I believe so. Yeah, yes. Believe they, so. Yeah. yeah. We have a few yeah. cases where we positive, false, they positive have or it. Something. No, it's not the false. part. it's the false negative. False negative. They, I guess. You sure they have it? But you can't get a test on them. So we'll often escalate that to a molecular PCR test and, and that often oh, Okay. We'll our first screening is the antigen test the yeah. that you can get at the pharmacies and they're a quick five minute way to tell. And they've been very good at picking most of this stuff up, which has been great. But
1: um An important yeah. part of what Paul said was stay at home. <laughs> So if you're sick, and and just like you mentioned, Tim, if, if you're coughing and sneezing in the public, people are looking at you, <laughs> and this is not the time of the year when you no. should be coughing and sneezing, and if you think you're sick, you the right. first thing to do is, as Paul said, is stay at home. Um, there's some telehealth options in the community, uh, particularly the county is pushing their telehealth program, and um, you call your primary physician or the clinic and see if you need to be tested, uh, if you do, there's there are home tests and then there's clinics to go to where you can get tested. Not only are physicians like Paul looking for COVID, but they're looking for other seasonal things. We've had a little bit of flu in the community, but not a whole lot. And we still have other infections that need to be treated. And so if your throat is really sore... Uh, Paul not only tests you for COVID, but then you might need to be screened for strep throat and treated for that instead. That's really an important thing to do. For many of the other common respiratory viruses we have this time of year, you just need to stay home. And you need to wear a mask around your family members so that they don't pick it up too. And um, you need not be in public, and they certainly don't want you at work, spreading it around <laughs> right. at work. Right, Tim. I'm sorry. Yeah. I love your, uh, love the job. But you should stay home <laughs> if you're sick.
0: Yeah, you know it's it's kind of funny because you know we grew up, when you know I grew up, and it's like you go to work unless you're dead. Now it's like uh, I got a couple couple sneezes. I'm not going to work because everybody like looks at you like it's 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 wild. Um, last but not least, um, we know without the politics involved and things like that kids, right? So you got, you got your youth and, and call your Lee and throughout the country and throughout the world, as far as that goes, it it doesn't seem, and luckily it doesn't seem to have impacted the kids, COVID in general, um, as far as lethal, right? Should, should we get our kids vaccinated? I know that's been a a big thing and it's, it's probably a tough question for you to both answer, but is it kind of in line with the adults and kind of with the CDC recommendations or how do we go with that? Well, I'm going to pass that over to Jim. <laughs>
2: I, I, we'll, we'll get the, it'll no longer be two, three, nine uncensored. It'll be two three nine nine I don't Um, Jim. I well, and, and, and again, I it's not a, that. not
0: really a fair question, you know, cause it's, it's, it's personal preference, right? I guess with your kids, I don't, I just don't, I just, the thing I think I, I've watched NFL college football players, uh, Major League Sports, I don't know of any, and I'm sure it has happened, maybe, but I don't know of anybody who's, who's died from those from the COVID because we know about it. And the young kids, I'm sure there has been young kids that have, but, you know, how how should we go about it as a parent?
1: Okay, so uh, <laughs> we still have a disease that is very dangerous to some kids, yeah. And in particular those with underlying medical problems. Right. Um, I have been through the children's hospitals and other places, and there's still devastating implications both of COVID and then this multi-inflammatory syndrome uh, that is a problem in any viral illnesses in certain kids, and it's a devastating illness. It appears this time clearly COVID is not as dangerous to kids as it is to older people. The risk-benefit ratio that people have, if, if my child has underlying problems like they have underlying asthma. They have a congenital heart problem, et cetera. There, there's a pretty clear uh, improvement in their outcome if they get okay. immunized. I think over time we will probably arrive at a COVID in immunization that will be as effective as polio. It will also be as convenient to administer as polio, which means oral dosing. They're already testing another. of the world uh, dosing that goes as a nasal spray or as an oral administered medicine it may even be better than something that we inject in the muscle in that case um, really the risk benefit will clearly point to the need for immunization of all of the kids not only to protect the kids but also the older people that the kids expose so one of the ongoing issues is school systems And where the kids may not get all that sick, but everybody who teaches them and gives them their food and takes care of the school, they pick up the the diseases from the kids just like they do all of the other viruses at schools, and it would be really beneficial to have the kids protected from that. There's also this ongoing issue. Um, Omicron is clearly more infectious to kids as it is to adults. Hmm. And if at some point Omicron or another variant became dangerous for kids, we would then be moving very quickly towards immunization of the children down to whatever age is appropriate. So I think we're going to find over time that immunization of children um, is important. This week, uh, we're already down to age five, and then this week the FDA asked Pfizer to move their pediatric dosing, which is under five years of age. They asked them to move that into the authorization process. So the FDA asked the drug company um, to get that moving, and I think we will see that. And in places where they have immunized the very young children, they have found it is effective, and they have found it has very low complication rates. So that's what we're counting on, and probably what we'll need in the long term.
2: Last question: Is COVID going to go away? Boy, well, I hope so. I, I, I think it, 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 <laughs> I, I th- love this. Th- the answer is yes, it will. It's going to take some time. Yeah. we got a little bit more left uh, in terms of where this is evolving, but. I think we're in a better place than we were a year ago i think even more in a better place than last summer and i I believe it it is going to continue to to slowly drift in a a really
1: good direction for all of us i like paul's crystal ball and uh, i i agree with him um the the fact that we've had so many people sick with this and uh early on they said you're either going to be recovered vaccinated or dead as a result of this, and that's kind get of you. a worldwide prediction, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we still have what what has happened with viruses in the past. They have a drift, and they have a pattern all their own. And we fortunately haven't had any of them that completely wiped out civilization in the past. And the really dangerous ones, we have been smart enough to develop immunizations for. So smallpox and polio and some of the other things that were ruthless in killing kids and people in the past. Um, we, we develop the immunizations and we wipe them out. That's a good thing. Great stuff, guys.
0: Great stuff. Dr. Hobaka, Dr. Augustine, thank you guys for coming in. This is this is really good, and we get a lot of response. People love listening to this stuff. I know, I know, like you said, crystal ball, and not everybody has the answer, but to get informed answers to questions that people really want to know is very important. So I'd like to thank you guys for coming on the 239 Uncensored podcast.
2: Yeah, we're happy to be here. And I'm so glad Jim Jim was able to join us. And I guess you couldn't get Joe Rogan this week. Yeah, Joe Rogan.
0: He's, he's, he's a little busy on Spotify. Everybody's starting to cancel. You know, all the musicians are there. But you guys, you guys are great. So I really appreciate it. And uh, I think I think we can get you back, right? We definitely get you back. If not, we can do a call-in or something like that. But I think it's important we keep people updated. And I think it's really good information. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, no, sure. we really appreciate it. Gentlemen, thanks. 239, that's censored everything Southwest Florida and beyond. And we usually go, we are out. Please make sure to download and listen to us on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcast. And don't forget to like and share on social media.
1: This has been a Studio 239 production. That was fun.